0: Matt, whether you know it or not, we see, depending on the stats you read, right? Anywhere from five to 10,000 ad impressions every single day. If you're just targeting your ad to a general demographic, it's really hard to cut through that noise of five to 10,000 ad impressions every day.
1: Joining us on Bridging the Gap this episode is from the sandy beaches in Florida, Charlie Van Derven, the founder of Social Advisors and the LinkedIn guru. We start the conversation by just go with me here, picturing ourselves in Charlie's master bedroom at his first boardroom table as he walks us through his vision of social media years ago and what he saw social media developing as on the horizon. That's where Charlie started his first company was in his bedroom. Charlie takes us through the challenges advisors face with content marketing, building your LinkedIn network and niche and the importance of a simple message to a new connection right after you make that on LinkedIn. It's awesome. I've been using it. Charlie helped me get there and it's incredible. Charlie also talks us through tools to help advisors overcome and stay committed to the drawbacks of not seeing instant gratification ROI from your first couple of posts. This conversation was awesome and Charlie is an amazing person. So listen now for a fun conversation between myself and Charlie Van Derven.
0: This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner.
1: Charlie Van Derven, welcome to Bridging the Gap. You know, we're we're almost neighbors here, right?
0: I'm traveling
1: this week. You're uh, just, what, three and a half hours north of here up in Daytona Beach Shores. Daytona be Beach spec- Shores, right? Be
0: specific, Matt. We got to put the shores <laughs> in there. <Yeah>. That's right. <laughs> All
1: right. Shores. How are you, my friend? How's I'm everything good, going with man.
0: You? I'm good, We, Yeah, we, uh, you know, probably distant neighbors, but we do stare at the same ocean, so. <laughs> yeah we yeah. should have done this
1: one in person we could have met in the middle and we could have done yeah. it in person right i'd, just I'd have I'd,
0: I'd come on down to hollywood and you know there's uh there's <laughs> probably a lot of faces at that conference that i haven't seen in a while it's uh uh with you know with with pandemic and lockdown i was at the jolt conference in vegas two or three weeks ago now um yeah. and uh it was man it was just nice to be back in person and get everything kind of felt normal again for a second you know
1: Yeah, that's the truth, man. That is the truth. It's nice to be just in person, to see people, to be able to shake hands, give hugs, kiss babies, and you know how it goes. It's just just nice to be back. And I think that there's a lot that we can gain from – the balance of the two but it's just good to be in person. Well, I'm really stoked about this conversation because you know, I think that there's a lot every every conversation we have I try to learn something and this is something that I'm passionate about with social media and LinkedIn and creating an influence and I think you've got so much knowledge and and you know experience in the space that you're going to be able to teach a lot of us what to do to to kind of keep our our voice prevalent. I'm curious though and I ask everybody this like what got, how'd you get to this point? Right. How did you get to social media for financial advisors? I mean, did you wake up when you're six years old and were like, you know, I really can't wait till social media comes on the horizon. I'm going to work with financial advisors. Like, how did you get here?
0: Let's, let's go back a little ways, Matt. (laughs) So we were chatting, you know, we were chatting, uh, uh, before we started to hit the recording about, we both spent some time in Arizona and I'm, I finished up college in Northern Arizona. I, um, Back to Green Bay, took my first job at a, at a Radisson Inn, right? I mean, young guy out of college with a history degree. What are you going to do? So, anyway, in a roundabout way, I ended up in Alaska for a little while. And then I got what felt like at the moment, my dream job running a sales territory for Oakley. I was, I was a, you know, I've been on skis since I was three, started snowboarding, and got a couple relics behind me here. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I get this job with Oakley. And the territory was terrible. It was Minnesota, North, and South Dakota. This is like Uh maybe 97, something like that. And um, so we were pioneering new product lines anyway. It wasn't everything I thought it was going to be. And so I moved on from that job, found my next job in the newspaper, which is how we used to do it, right? And that was with this little technology company in downtown Duluth, Minnesota, a company called 50 Below. Now, they, they were in a handful of verticals. One of those verticals being financial services. The other four were retail verticals. And the technology we were doing at that time was data-driven templated websites for, you know, for Morgan Stanley, Smith Barney before their merger, gosh, RBC, Dane Rauscher. I mean, it was, it was you know, names that don't exist anymore, right? But we hosted, I think, you know, maybe forty five or 50,000 templated data-driven sites. And then we did, of course, the the locators type in your zip code and find an advisor near you. So I I fell into the industry accidentally. Those who listen to your podcast that know a 50 below, well, it became part of Emerald connect, which is now part of Broadridge. So that all rolls up into each other. When I saw that all changing, I actually went to work with FMG suite for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, and of course they got a really, you know, really great business, great prominent name. It was there a couple of years and, you know, Listen, content marketing is really, really important and it's grown and important since they, you know, since they hung their shingle up probably 12 years ago now, but the model, and I, I don't want to insult anybody in this conversation, right? But the model wasn't, it didn't feel good, right? <laughs> At that time, maybe they had five or 6,000 clients. Now they maybe have 50 or 60,000 and I'm making some educated guesses there, but it was a one size fits all model. Well- you know, the industry would like advisors to be one size fits all, but that's not the truth, right? I mean, the regulatory environment makes it easy on them, but it's not the truth. So October, 2013, I decided that wasn't the right model for myself or for for the clients we wanted to service. And we had a little bit of savings, my wife and I, and I said, Hey, babe, let me give something a shot. And I moved all the furniture out of my master bedroom with conference table in, popped open the laptop, flipped open the cell phone, And said, I do social media for financial advisors. But nine years ago, Matt, I didn't know what that meant really. At that time, it was all content development, you know. Yeah. Uh, And and that's evolved greatly over the years. But that first day, it was social media for financial advisors. So, no, I I wasn't 16 years old and, you know, just dying to do do social marketing for advisors. It just, that's that's where things evolved to. I, I found a passion for the content. I love business development meeting new people consistently, creating new opportunities all the time. So that stuff feeds my soul every day. So so walk me through this. I can imagine I'm putting myself in – this sounds
1: bad and awkward. I'm putting myself in your master bedroom. Yeah. Uh,
0: and, uh, <laughs> so, hey, so did our so did our first four employees, by the way. That was weird, actually <laughs> yeah.
1: so that, all right, so it's not that bad. It could have been coming off a little bit worse. But I, I put myself in your master bedroom that day. You open up your laptop. I understand that like mentality. The first day you got your cell phone, you're, you're ready to go yep. at that point in time. And I know you've evolved drastically since. But yep. what was the vision for social media, for financial
0: advisors at that point in time? it was it was it was all heavily content marketing right and and so there was a you know a lot of uh, and, and and not real deep in financial topics right and and some some of the philosophy from day 1 or you know month 1 or you know, quarter 1 exists today in that there was a recognition when you come out of an environment like and again i don't want to bash fmg suite i got i got great friends over there i think they got a good product but you come out of a position like that or a business like that where nothing was personal for the advisor at all, right? Now, relationships aren't created because you pump out the best white paper. And and Mm -hmm. that was the issue, right? You got a great video on, you know, whatever, fill in the topic, five to nine plans. Great. But that's not how relationships are built. And so the foundation of this business was really highly personalized content, never really hard hitting financial type content, but content that allows people to relate with other people right we buy from people we know and like and trust we don't buy from people who have you know the shiniest widget right mm. so yeah. so foundationally that still exists today right where it's about connecting people and when we're developing content it's about telling a personal story so we can help to create relationships
1: so let's let's dive into that for a second then i want to switch yes. and transition over to linkedin because i think that yeah. linkedin is an is an avenue that i'm i'm a firm believer in but on content marketing on the idea of, of developing good content, I think that financial advisors, and, and I, I've talked to many other people on the podcast about this, because I think it's such an important topic. Everybody's looking for growth and they have the ability to do it if they focus on the knowledge and figure out how to do content marketing, they could grow. Sure. Where is the challenge though that you see? Because financial advisors have so much knowledge, they they hear these stories. Like they're good at storytelling. That's how they close business. Like, we're really good at storytelling. Yeah. what makes it so difficult for them to content market? Where do you see the challenges that that advisors
0: are facing on the content marketing side? You know, I'm going to tell you more than anything else, it's commitment to it, mm. right? You've got, you know, I keep coming back to the to the the firm I used to work for, right? But you've got you've got easy options, right? You've got checks. Most advisors have check the box options, whether it's in an FMG suite or you know a, a firm approved content are, you know, there's other services out there like, you know, content curator type services where you type in your keywords and they go search Google for articles. There's a lot of really, you know, really easy ways to get content out on social media. Now, that's not the best content, right? There's nothing that pertains to you. It's, it's linking off of LinkedIn or Facebook or wherever else you're posting your content. So it's not getting a lot of exposure. But I feel like most advisors feel like they've done their job when they check that box, Mm. And frankly, if you look like everybody else, you know, you're not you're not doing anything to differentiate. So it's it's a commitment to it, whether that's an outsource option or whether you're doing it yourself or someone on your staff is doing it. It's absolutely being committed to let's let's call it the craft, right? And I, I don't care where you start today, but you'll get better and better and better as you go. Without that commitment to it, it doesn't happen. And I
1: think that that's the challenge too, right? Because I think advisors, we're so analytical and we're so focused on our time and growth. And it's hard to put an ROI to that hour and a half that you spend towards content marketing and pushing it out it, it, because it doesn't, you have don't have an immediate ROI, right? It, it is a... Consistency, it's action. Like I think about sales, right? Activity, activity, activity drives results. But you got to be consistent at that. And right. I, I just think it's so hard because there is no ROI. And I see it even in my own firms, right? Like some of the leadership is, you know, they, they're like, "Well, what, what was the ROI on that? How many leads did it get?" It's like it's not that one post right. or that one initiative. It's a, it's a combination. I think. And, and so, have you helped, Have you found tools or thought processes or strategies to help? advisors overcome that and stay committed to it. I mean, that that is a hard thing. It's hard for humans just to stay committed to a weight loss program. Like, how, how
0: do you get to committed to something like this where there's very little instant gratification ROI? Yeah, you know, that, and, and that's, you know, that's certainly an issue. Um, one of the things that came up repeatedly, a jolt, whether it was main stage or panel on a, you know, on a uh, uh, on a, you know, on a backstage or anyway. So one of the things for every presentation, one of the things that came up was 24 to 36 month commitment, right? That was the number I heard over and over and over is you've got to commit to a strategy 24 to 36 months. If we back up in this industry a little bit, and we go back to you know, people starting at Merrill Lynch 30 years ago required to make 250 dials a day and you better have 10 phone conversations, right? You've got to commit to those 250 dials, but you also got to commit to those 250 dials for the next year. For the next mm. two years, for the next three years. If you stop at the one day of 250 dials or the one week, it's not gonna go anywhere either. Right? So, in a large enough sample size, right? And this is everybody's a little bit different, but if you've got a large enough sample size, your sales, those new clients, the new assets, those are results, right? And they're results based on whatever activity it is you do. You know, whatever whatever strategy you've got, and certainly I believe in an integrated strategy. Content marketing is just one little piece of that. But you know that if you put if you connect with enough people on LinkedIn in a day and you put enough content out there and you engage with enough people and enough people see your posts, you got, you know, you got the analytics behind your the visibility of those posts. You know exactly, just like in cold calling days, exactly what that front end activity is going to lead to for back end revenue. Right. Mm, revenue is a result yeah. of a whole bunch of leading indicators. Used to be enough seminars, enough cold calls, you got your revenue. Life's changed a little bit, right? Yeah. And it's it reminds me, it's not necessarily it, it you know, everybody's like, oh
1: well, this particular post led to one lead, but it's not necessarily the post, it's the process. And we get blinded by results to say that what we did was the right thing. It's a it's a process and it's a commitment to a strategy that delivers those results. And I I I, I think that the a real challenge with content is getting it seen. And I think that that's one of the biggest values of, of, of LinkedIn is that you can build a community of people that are similar to you, that you can have them see your content and it's a way to engage with them on a consistent basis. You're big into LinkedIn. And one of your biggest views is that you need to build your own niche in LinkedIn. So talk to me about how to build the right network on LinkedIn and you know what are some of those tactics to engage with the network as opposed to just having all these followers or these likes or these connections? Like, how do you engage with them and turn them into
0: relationships as opposed to just connections? It's a great question. I think most people struggle with it. Great, I've got two thousand connections on LinkedIn. What do you do with that now? Right. First, let's talk about the niche. If your network is anybody and everybody, well, let's back up even further than that. If I were to ask the question, and I've asked it of Thousands of people over the years. Who do you want to work with? If the answer to that is anybody with money, and it wasn't, it, it came up in a call yesterday, right? Anybody with money—that's a really—it's you know—it's—it's a—that's a—it's that's a really difficult target. It seems like it's a really easy target, but the biggest problem is that I, I believe financial services is the third most competitive professional industry in our nation, right? Mm. FINRA's number, right? And I say this, anybody who listens to your podcast has heard me speak somewhere before this comes up a lot. FINRA's number is 687,000 advisors in this country. Now that includes RIAs and certainly those aren't all practicing, but even if it's half of that, right, maybe it's 350,000 people. You've got so much competition when you're after a generalized audience. And by the way, pre-retirees and our retirees is not a niche. Okay. So And you know that's a lot. Another comes comes up a lot when I ask that question. Also, pre-retirees and retirees. Well, of course, right? We all do. The more narrow you get in your niche, the less competition exists within that particular niche, right? If you like to work with medical professionals, some would argue that's not a great target. But if you like to work with business owners, narrow that down. What type of business owners, right? You want to work with manufacturers? Join the manufacturing association. Sure, there's a couple other advisors there, but there's not a thousand other advisors there, right? The other thing that happens when you get narrow is now you start to speak very personally, right? So those people that, you know, they their niches, let's say, you know, government employees, right? They're gonna talk about pensions and and things that might be different than a typical 401k. Right so the more narrow you get the more personal your communication becomes not only written or you know not only verbal over the phone and meeting with people but also in your content marketing now your content marketing starts to speak to somebody instead of the generic let's save you taxes and retirement of course we want to save taxes and retirement so does everybody so does everybody post the same content around that right so when you get narrow you start to speak to your audience as you're talking, I'm drawing out all these different
1: ideas. Right, narrow equals personal. You want to be that narrow lane as opposed to the broad lane, right? Yeah. Be the narrow as opposed to the broad, and you, you you start to create connection. And connection is built not just based on what you say or what you talk about, but it's about how how deep you get, right? Too often, we're always so so broad. And I, I was down here at a conference, and Michael Kitsis was talking, and he was talking about how. Being a niche practice, you you just, you you have, you're more efficient, you grow faster, you have higher growth rates. It works. So now the question gets to is, okay, I've identified my niche. I want to use LinkedIn. What's a strategy? Like, I can just go connect with all these people, but like, how do I connect with them? What's the strategy to talk about building relationships with prospects
0: on LinkedIn that I can use within my niche? Here's one that I love. First off, you got to bring value, right? If I if I were to connect with you now, our niche is financial services. We even get a little bit more narrow than that. You know, mostly we work with RIAs, right? And we do have some independent broker dealer outside of that. I do some coaching with with some of the warehouse advisors as well. But we're prospecting RIAs, right? If I come to you, Matt, and I say, Hey, Matt, let's have a conversation about how we can grow your business together, or something along those lines, right? We, I haven't built any rapport with you at this point. And, and so much of that LinkedIn strategy over the years and they're doing away with this has been connect and pitch, right? If I connect with and pitch enough people, a small percentage is going to bring me what I want in return. That doesn't exist anymore, right? So LinkedIn got a bad rap on that. In that respect, they've changed the rules of the game quite a bit. It is really important to bring value to the people that you talk to now. One strategy that I absolutely love is creating, and I call it a live event. Some people are you know some people disagree with that nomenclature, but it doesn't matter. <clears throat> In your case, you're doing a podcast, right? If I, if I connect with you, Matt, and invite you to a podcast which is going to bring you some exposure for whatever it is, your practice, whatever that might be, you're gonna say yes to that. Mm-hmm. right? Even if I don't know you, that gives me an opportunity to connect with you, right? So that's one of the strategies we like to implement is, I mean, you and I get an opportunity on this podcast to get to know who each other is. Do we like each other? Awesome, if we like each other, we could create reasons to talk after this podcast. If we don't, that's cool too. You know, you you move on in life, right? It is about bringing value. You and I do a podcast together, I connect with somebody on LinkedIn, ask them to do a podcast with me, or hey, can I interview you for my blog? They get exposure. They get some content out of that. You get exposure. Now you've got a shared benefit. You got to open with a shared benefit. If you're opening with a pitch, you're dead in the water already. The next thing you've got to do is pay attention when you do that podcast or that blog interview or whatever your your live event is. First off, that's a great catalyst for the content you create for social media, by the way. You know, so you're, you're drawing more out of that. When you do that, you get an opportunity to learn some of the pain points that you can solve, right? You don't solve those in that interview. Put those in your back pocket. That creates your opportunity in the future, right? So on LinkedIn, this is, we're talking a little bit outside of LinkedIn in that case. On LinkedIn, engagement is key, right? So the people that you meet in the podcast that you like, that you want to get to know more, that you want to, you know, push that push that relationship forward, Make sure that you're, you're keeping those people on a list and you're interacting with them consistently, right? If they post content, mm. interact with their content, right? After you do that a few times, you can go to the DM, you can send them a nice message. You know, hey, I love the content that you're posting. It's an easy place to grow a relationship in that regard. If they show up in the news at all, that they've got some accomplishments, it's easy to find that information and interact with them in that regard. Going back to an earlier thought, jumping around a little bit here. When you do that live event and you learn that pain point, you know, we'll go back to something cliche, but taxes in retirement, right? Oh my gosh, I'm a business owner and, you know, or I'm a realtor and all these commissions, the taxes on my commissions. Once you produce that blog or that podcast or whatever it is, you go back and you say, hey, Matt, that stuff's ready to go now. I put it up on social media. I'd love for you to share it. By the way, you mentioned this one thing, right? You said taxes on your commissions as a realtor you know, I got some advice for you, you know, let's, let's grab a cup of coffee. Whether you use me for help or not, I want to make sure you're the best setup you can possibly be. This is where now you can start to present your services, right? You've built rapport. They like you, you know where their pain's at. I won't call it an easy conversion. There's no easy conversions, but that opens up your opportunity for conversion from connection to blog interview or podcast to pain point to opportunity. It's it's the give and take mentality, right? Like I
1: got to give something to get something, and and some so many people go in so hard with the pitch, and then they just try to move on. I love that idea of having like that live event, and I think that what advisors can also take away from that is when you get that information, this is where you use your CRM more effectively. Like put Brilliant. that person in your CRM, put that knowledge base in your CRM. When you write a content piece pull up a list of everybody that would have a tag or a filter on that piece and let them know and send them a personal note. Even if it's like a, I love the handwritten notes still as well, right? Send them a handwritten note. And that's where you can start using a lot of that. I love that idea Put it in your back pocket and this is where you can leverage your CRM. And, um, you know, to the idea that you're mentioning about following these people, it's a tool that I I utilize, but I, I haven't really been great at it. I'm really curious of how you're using it, which is LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Walk us through what Sales Navigator is, how you use that, because I, I've, I've seen it be the tool to continue following people. But how do you leverage that to stay in touch with them and and to stay in touch with lists? And I think it's an amazing tool. I, just, I haven't really been able to find a way to get the most out of it. So that's what I'm hoping you can give me the golden ticket to the LinkedIn sales navigator gold.
0: Yeah, it, it, well, it used to be that, you know, in a, in a closed ecosystem, right? That LinkedIn ecosystem, I would, I would have told you two years ago, I'd have told you LinkedIn sales navigator is the best t- sales tool I've ever used. Now I would have to couple that with the CRM that we use, right? Because LinkedIn used to be that ecosystem where we, we really built relationship. The CRM has supplanted that almost as the, well, at least the brains behind the ecosystem. So Sales Navigator, for those who are not familiar, get familiar with it. It's awesome. It's I think it's 99 bucks a month. So it's it's you know, one of the couple of ways that Microsoft monetizes LinkedIn. It's a query tool. That's it's really what it is, you know. I mean, it, it gives you a lot of intelligence outside of that query, but it starts as a query tool. There's, I don't know, about 30 different search criteria in there. That if your audience, if that niche we talked about is a professional niche you won't believe the numbers that show up when you start querying, right? I I'm trying to think of a search we did. Um, what town? Omaha, Nebraska, Union Pacific. This came up. This was, you know, this was a conversation I had this week. An advisor in, in Omaha that, you know, we're talking about niches. Oh, I don't know. You know, kind of just kind of general, the same kind of result. Right. And I said, well, any companies you like working with there? Any companies that have kind of a, a differentiator in the way they set up their retirement plans? And she said, well, Union Pacific's here. And I said, well, awesome. That's probably really good. I imagine there's a lot of people still on pension at Union Pacific, right? Yep. Anyway, so we did a search. You can search by geography, you know, Omaha, Nebraska, Union Pacific, director level and above. So we could reach some affluence with our search. We plugged in a few different criteria, but there were like 3,500 profiles that fit that criteria. Now, the one drawback is sales navigator is only as good as the data that's maintained on LinkedIn, right? So if, if you got a bunch of users aren't maintaining their data and maybe they left that job five years ago, that's in that search too. But we're willing to sift through some of that to get to the opportunity. 810 million profiles on LinkedIn, sales navigator is the tool to finding the people you want to talk to out of those 810 million people. About a third of those people are in North America, incidentally. The other cool things about Sales Navigator is, you know, if someone shows up in the news, they're going to send you a notification. If someone you save in Sales Navigator, they're going to send you a notification. So you're prompted then to go out and offer your congratulatory message, stay present, maybe ask them a question about what that means for the future or whatever, get a conversation going. If you're prospecting certain companies, Right. They're going to tell you, you know, headcount growth or shrink of that company. Anyway, so anybody you save as a lead in that platform is going to show up in the newsfeed on Sales Navigator. When you go to your newsfeed on LinkedIn, that's LinkedIn's algorithm providing a lot of that, you know, all of that newsfeed. When you go Mm -hmm. to Sales Navigator, it's just the companies and the people that you've saved because you're prospecting, prompting you to reach out to them. It's a, it's an awesome tool. And I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. I, I, I love the idea of like the, in the
1: news. I love that you can create the list, the querying, the filtering ability, and and having a targeted list. But I also, you know, especially for wealth managers, right? Something that's really cool in Sales Navigator is you can have triggers be for when they change jobs or when they get promoted, right? So if you think about changing jobs, well, then now that's a 401k rollover opportunity, right. right? And if they get promoted, they got a raise and you can go and they may need some help now. They may it's a little bit more money. So you get life events and life events we have to remember is when people want help. And so if you can catch them in those moments of those life events, you have a higher likelihood of having that live event to where then you can help engage with them and you can give them something of value in that moment that's necessary for them to start building the relationship, which I think is just phenomenal. I think, yeah, it's thanks,
0: thanks for bringing that up, man. Cause yeah, you're right. One of the filters is 90 days, change jobs in the last 90 days. You know, those are active people too on LinkedIn because they've made that update and yeah, we say, you know, sales happen because of needs and timing, right? Of course they need to know you like you trust you and you got that piece of it too. But someone's ready to purchase because of needs of timing. I don't care, you know, if that's a gallon of gas in the car, or a gallon of milk in, the, you know, in the fridge. That happens because of needs and timing. And you're right, milestone events like that—changing a job, getting a raise, whatever those things are—you know, certainly, certainly take that. So I want to touch
1: on two other things really briefly before we kind of wrap this up is, is with regards to automation, right? I'm a huge fan of automation. I believe in automation. I built a business around automation um, and integration, right? Of technology platforms. How do you see automation and integration playing and the importance of it within your firm? How do you, when you're talking to firms, how do you promote to them and help them understand the power and the need for automation and integration within their
0: technology firms? You know, the, the the easiest thing to speak to is probably the data that results. Right. So the ability to get more and more narrow on that niche, right? We think we want to work with all use Union Pacific. We think we want to work with people at Union Pacific, but reality is we want to work with these exact types of people at Union Pacific, right? So, you know, LinkedIn's changed a lot over the years. We've commented on that. We used to run everything we did was 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 within the LinkedIn ecosystem. You know, we started as content developers. We realized content standalone, great, nice offering. But if you're not engaging with people, that content's not getting in front of an audience. So then we turned to LinkedIn for that engagement maybe six years ago. And all that engagement used to happen with LinkedIn link, with LinkedIn. Now it's actually the integration of LinkedIn with CRM mm. that is that is so strong. It's it's such a strong combination. You can run ads on Facebook with a lead with a good lead magnet all day long. You're not going to touch your ability to get in front of professionals, you know, from a LinkedIn connection, right? So LinkedIn will integrate with just about any CRM now.
1: Mm. So
0: you've got the capability of of adding 5, 10, 15, 20 people a day to your CRM that fits that niche we talked about. That yeah. integration is 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 really essential for your business development. You need to be talking to a large audience. Yeah. The yeah. best the that, be- go ahead. Matt. Keep no, keep going, John. Sorry, keep going. Keep going keep with on. your thought. I was going to say the best CRMs have the greatest lead scoring capabilities. Right? So, we've got some great industry CRMs, but they are truly see uh, the C being customer relationship managers. They are not marketing platforms right? The lead scoring capability is the most important component of any marketing automation platform. The ability to track when somebody hits the fee page on your website, or watches a key YouTube video, or watches one of your podcasts, or interacts with one of your social, your pieces of social content. So you put all... you. A guy like you who's been you know we're, we're deep into dozens of, of podcast episodes you've got several companies that you're involved in in one capacity or another right now the ability for you to load all your marketing assets through one platform so you can track the people in your in your CRM the the starting with 50 but within you know within a year the 500 or thousand people in your CRM, your ability to track the 20 people, who are interacting with your marketing content all the time is what, you know, that's what lead scoring is there for. Right. And, and so I think that's the most from marketing automation perspective, that's the most important component of a good CRM. I mean, and that's the lead scoring is
1: kind of where I was going with it because I mean that, that is a power of the CRM and that's the power of understanding, uh, you know, that is your ROI. Maybe it's not leading to a, a, a sale right away, but how are people moving through the funnel and what are your conversion rates at each part of the funnel right. as people are moving through it, which then leads me into retargeting, right? The idea of retargeting, if you have that information, then you can start sending really targeted emails to the people that have been clicking on a certain page or a certain type of content. And so, I'm, I'm interested from your perspective, some of the tips on retargeting. like how is an effect, How can we think about retargeting? So we've got the big funnel. We're now getting leads. We're now interacting with them and connecting with them. Now we're funneling them in and lead scoring them. But we, it, it does, we're not going to get them in one or two connections. We've got to keep doing more. So how do we retarget in an effective way using all of this data now that we have from LinkedIn into
0: our CRM and now back out to, to provide value? I'm sure you've got a pretty sophisticated listener base. But I'm going to say, first off, retargeting is when, you know, if you're into fishing and you looked at that fishing pole on Amazon, you didn't buy it, and then you went back to Facebook and there was an ad for that fishing pole, that's retargeting, right? You Traditionally, that's just done with pixeling that product page on Amazon. Now, Facebook knows you're on that page. So anyway, just to just to clarify, retargeting versus targeting an ad towards a demographic. Now- Again, going back to that number I said six hundred and eighty-seven thousand advisors in the country. In the last nine years, we built a database, opt-in database, whether it's a webinar promotion or LinkedIn connection, however they got there, you know, responded to an ad, whatever it was. We got a database about twenty-eight thousand advisors who have opted into our communication. They know who we are. Matt, whether you know it or not, we see, depending on the stats you read, right, anywhere from five to ten thousand ad impressions every single day. If you're just targeting your ad to a general demographic, it's really hard to cut through that noise of 5 to 10,000 ad impressions every day. So retargeting is a much I think wiser spend for your ad budget because you're advertising to people who know who you are and to your point, when you've got a code on you know the financial planning page on your website, you know that person that's in your database has been on that financial planning page of of your website so that when they go to Facebook next time, because you're tracking that page individually, they can see an ad for financial planning. If they've Mm. looked at a different page of your website, they can see a different ad. So it speaks directly to their needs, further personalizing that relationship, right? I think for people who don't know how all that works, I think it's almost creepy. You know, like the the big brother aspect of it, kind of creeps me out a little bit. Yeah, um, but from a you know from a a, a business owner's perspective, man, it's gold, right? So yeah. you got to stay organized. You know, you gotta you gotta you gotta put out. So the first step is understanding the value you create for people, and and what that looks like. And I'm talking granular right so so what are the things that the the individual components of your business that feed your client base right what's the value around those individual services that you provide next you need to build content around those individual services the content exposes who you are and what you do but from a data nerd's perspective the content is there to collect information about that you know that consumer base that database you're building right So Mm -hmm. by, by collecting that information, you're feeding, whether it's email content, whether it's retargeting advertising, whatever it is, you're feeding content that is highly personalized to the person that's consuming your, you know, your marketing, you know, resources, whatever. Yeah.
1: You know, what I take away from that is you got to be organized. You have to have a strategy, just like doing it willy nilly. It's just going to be ineffective as is everything right but you know to your point i started laughing when you talked about how you know retargeting can be creepy i mean it is if you think about it it is like that that we're able to know so much about people but it's it is the way that people are are learning new information and to be honest i'd rather be retargeted on things that i care about as opposed to be ad spammed on things that i don't care about right so there is a positive side to it now it will be creepy when my amazon alexa starts Having you know Charlie's voice because I'm on your website and it starts having Charlie talk to me like Matt, go click on this section of the website. (laughs) That now will be a little bit creepy, but until then, it's just it's information I want to know about. Like I care about that stuff. I don't care about X, Y, and Z, so I don't want to see those ads. It it, there is a positive to it on that side, Charlie. I I mean, we could talk about LinkedIn so much. I'm a huge fan of LinkedIn. I think that finding your niche. Building a list, having a strategy, and having, you know, really, you know, organization is key. Uh, I, I want to end with, with two questions that I always ask our listeners and then I want to make sure that our listeners know where to find you because you are so knowledgeable, and we can all learn so much from you. Thanks, um, is the first one? I'm a I'm a constant learner. I love. I'm a lifelong learner. I think that one of, we should all be. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. And I love to read. And so I always like to ask my guests, "What's one book out there that we should all be reading?" Because I need to add new books to my bookshelf uh, to fill this wow. thing up.
0: You know, it's an old one. Right. But if, if you, so we are, I I think a lot of people move into this industry, Matt, and they're, you know, in financial, you know, they go to get a finance degree, whatever it is, right. And they're going to provide a lot of help to a lot of people. And that's awesome. And I love that. Ultimately, most of us become, you know, fall into a sales role. You can hone your sales skills, but what I would recommend you do is hone your psychology around sales. Mm. Right. Rather than the words you say, the understanding you have of your buyer. It, it, I'm sure a lot of people have read it already. It's a wonderful book. Influenced by Cialdini is a, a cornerstone book for for my foundation in business development. Love um, it. Yeah. Love and, it. You know, I've, re- I've read it a few times. It is, I mean, it is. if I'm going back to one book, that's it.
1: I like it. That's awesome. All right. And then now I take this from Barron's and so I always give them credit, but I always thought it was great at their conferences. They always ask their guests, what's one piece of actionable advice that our listeners can take away from this conversation that will make them better tomorrow? Because of it. What's one actual piece of advice?
0: All right. Let's assume you all got a niche, right? <laughs> send send 10. So you're only as good as the database you're building. Honestly, you need to be speaking to a large audience and content marketing and CRM and, you know, all these great automation components that make it possible to speak to a lot of people. I'm going to give you two, okay? Here's, here's two things for a daily routine on LinkedIn. Send 10 connection invitations every single day. That's 70 a week. Send, I don't care if it's Sunday. Send 10 connection. you got to be building your database. You've got to be talking to new people. Second piece of advice on your daily routine, comment on three pieces of content every single day, but track the people you're commenting on because once you've commented on a couple pieces of their content, you're going to send them a private direct message that complements their content and ask them a question about the content you've consumed you're going to start mm-hmm. a new com- you're going to start a new conversation. if you if you do that 3 times a day you send you know you send somebody a, a direct message based on the content that they create you're going to start probably one or two conversations with the target person mm-hmm. every day i love
1: it i love it Charlie, it's been a real pleasure, man. And I've learned a ton already. And I, I'm going to be continuing to follow you and hopefully stay in touch. I'd love to stay in touch and continue to learn from you. And I know that our listeners will probably want to continue to follow you and learn from you. And so what's the best way for them to, to stay in touch with everything that Charlie Van Der Ven's doing and get the knowledge and, and be a better person because of what you're doing and saying?
0: I'm fortunate in that there's only one Charlie Van Derven on the planet. Probably the whole whole world's fortunate there's only one of me on the planet. But I'm an easy guy to find as a result of it. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm super active there. Our website is social-advisors.com. And I like giving out my cell phone still, so please don't blow it up. But 386-846-5291 there it is that is a
1: first charlie i have not had a cell phone number i got digits you know how hard it was for me to get digits in in college and high school and i just got digits on a podcast and that's amazing look at that much simpler (laughs) hey charlie van derven you're 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 a kind man for spending time with us here on bridging the gap and sharing your knowledge And and thanks so much for bringing so much great advice to the industry and helping us be better and connecting and being social. So thanks so much for everything you're doing and joining
0: us here on Bridging the Gap. Matt, you're awesome. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate the opportunity to be here.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think.